All right, good evening, everybody. We're going to be in Acts chapters 4 and maybe 5. We'll see how far we get. Acts 4 and 5. supposed to have a nice storm, you guys probably know that, and uh, you know, I always, if I can physically be here to teach the Bible, I will always physically be here to teach the Bible. We don't ever close, you know, we never call everybody and say, hey, we're not having church, well, we try not to do that, um, but don't ever feel like you need to be here. Come if it's safe for you, you know, I always want to leave that out there, but if someone wants to come and hear a Bible story, because they could get here too, I want to make sure that I'm here to to do that or, or, you know, do what God's called me to do. But don't ever feel like, oh, they're going to have church, I need to be there or whatever. Stay home if, if it's not safe for you and you don't feel like God wants you to come, don't come. You know, don't risk it. Um, but we will be here. We will have church service, so no need to call and find out if it's canceled or anything. We're going to, I'll be here. I'll walk here if I have to. And uh, I may be here by myself, but um, know that someone will be here. So anyway, that's, I just want to throw that out for you because I don't ever want there to be any confusion. You know, We might even do a topical or something on those Sundays so that you can pick up next time you're here right where we left off in the next chapter or whatever, if there's a small crowd. So um, anyway, just throw that out there for you. Acts chapter 4 is exciting, and I'd like to get into 5 if we can, only because I think when we leave off with, and there was great grace upon them all, it's really important to hit that next story in chapter 5 to keep the balance, but we'll see how how far the Lord lets us go tonight. What happened last week was Peter and John went up in the hour of prayer, skipping the sacrificial portion of the service because Christ is the final sacrifice. No need to be there for another animal sacrifice. Those aren't necessary. Those aren't valid anymore now that the Lamb of God's been sacrificed. So they go up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for the hour of prayer because that is still important. We still want to be doing that. And so they go up there. And on their way into the beautiful gate, um, which is where they would normally go, they healed a man. Um, the Holy Spirit did through them, healed this guy. And, uh, and many people have gathered around to hear this wonderful thing. And Peter gives a great message to them and says, look, it's not us. It's God working through us, and um, it's, it's God's power that did this. It was only by faith that he was able to be made well, and that faith was given to us by God, and he uh, really gave them a great lesson on that and a teaching on that, and uh, that it was at this specific time um, that this man was supposed to be healed, and, uh, and was able to talk about Jesus at that point. Because it's, it's great that the guy could walk, and that is important, and what a, what a wonderful thing it is that this guy is not able or not, not crippled anymore, but able to walk. But the most important thing was that who did it and why they did it, um, and that it was Jesus, and that you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, um, This Jesus that you thought was nobody, that you crucified um, not too many days ago, uh, is the one who's still here by the power of the Holy Spirit, ministering like he did before he left. You know, um, And so there's a lot of folks gathered around them. They're at the temple. Um, prayer services obviously stopped and, and or paused anyway. There's a worship service going on right now, a praise service, but uh, it's no longer just quiet prayer. Um, they're excited, this kid. Ever since he was a little kid, he's been laid at this gate and he's been begging for alms. And now today of all days, he's healed. And they're excited about this. And so they've gathered around for his teaching. And uh, well, in, in walked the Sadducees. In, in walked the religious rulers who thought... They had nipped this in the bud, thought they'd gotten rid of it, you know, 
and uh, Jesus is dead. We got him crucified. Everything should be back to normal. We should be in charge again. Oh, looks like he's still busy working through his disciples. And so these guys show up. Verse 1, now as they spoke to the people, this is Peter and John, they're still preaching and teaching and telling everybody about Jesus. The priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, you've got to know something about these Sadducees. There's two groups within the Jewish leadership, Sadducees and Pharisees. Those are the two main groups, sort of like Democrats and Republicans, except a religious uh, division here. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in spirits or anything like that. So basically, no life after death, just kind of kind of live for the moment, live for the day, worship God uh, for some reason. And I'm still trying to figure out what they did every Sunday. You know, it, what difference does it make what you do? You're going to die and not exist anymore. What's the point? But nevertheless, these guys had power. And they're sort of the maybe social justice gang, you know, kind of thing. And they loved their power and they liked... To, you know, to social justice. Um, but as far as uh, you know, everlasting life or, or life after death, yeah, that's for the birds. And so that's the Pharisees' side of things over there. Uh, they, they did believe in the resurrection. So they hear him talking about Jesus being resurrected from the dead, and they don't like that. It doesn't line up with their you know, doctrine or whatever. And so they get upset, and they come upon these guys. And they laid hands on them, not like prayer, <laughs> more like they're going to handcuff them laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That's a pretty big crowd. That isn't the crowd I envisioned with this guy, you know, jumping and leaping and praising God. That's the Sunday school song we teach. You know, you get about 100, maybe 200 people around them, and it's kind of a big deal. 5,000 men, not including the women, got saved that day. Just from this one event, okay? Just from this one event. And not necessarily just because the guy got healed, but because the Holy Spirit was upon Peter and John as it gave out the word, it was alive. It spoke to them. And they got saved. They received Christ as their Lord and Savior. I make a point of that because it isn't all about signs and wonders, and it isn't all about just getting it right, the doctrine. It has to be the Holy Spirit that does the work in the person. I will be faithful to be bold and preach the gospel, but it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that people get saved. That's how it works, okay? Uh, And we'll see that here in a minute. So 5,000 guys got saved. That's awesome, you know. 3,000 got saved the first time Peter spoke. 5,000, that's pretty good. Two sermons, 8,000 people. I've never come close to that. I think I've got eight people maybe at one time, but never 8,000 people. That's pretty cool. And that's the power of the Lord. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And people open and receptive and ready. You know, that's what was prayed as uh, worship was ending tonight. And Lindsay said, you know, I pray that we be open and not hard-hearted. You know, it's another Wednesday. It's another chapter. I've done Acts 10 times now. I've heard this story before. I know what happens next. We have to come when we open God's Word, expecting to receive something from Him. It doesn't matter how old you are. Every time I go to a conference or sit in, get the chance to sit underneath someone else's teaching, I got pen and paper ready. I'm ready to write in the margins. I expect the Holy Spirit to speak to me. I've been through this book several times. I've taught this book several times. You know, I mean, the whole thing, Genesis to Revelation. And I still expect to receive something from Him. And we need to come that way. 
So it's important. 5,000 people get saved because they were there for prayer. They were there to seek the Lord. They were ready to receive whatever God had for them. And all of a sudden, something unusual happened. The guy got healed. These guys preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. Low-hanging fruit that day. Verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, Peter and John, or uh, yeah, Peter and John, set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by, why, by what name have you done this? How did you do this? Who, who's doing this? You know, um, they've already made their decision or they wouldn't have arrested them. They obviously think something, uh, you know, is wrong with what they were doing. And so they've already arrested them. So it's, a, it's not a question they really want a truthful answer to. Um, what, by what name have you done this? We need to know that. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. It's a great answer. It only comes, though, by the Holy Spirit. You understand who this crowd is? This is the same crowd that Peter was afraid of the night Jesus was betrayed. The same crowd that he was warming his hands by the fire saying, I don't know this man. He said it three different times. This is the exact same crowd, the same group of folks. What's different? What happened to Peter? Peter was scared to death, swore up and down. He didn't have anything to do with this. Jesus knew nothing about him until they caught him with his accent. You're a Nazarene. He says, it doesn't matter. I'm not. What's the difference between Peter then and Peter now? Peter was born again. Peter was, you know, following Jesus. He was a disciple. I mean, he was doing what he needed to do. What's the difference? The difference is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's got boldness. He's not afraid of men anymore. He's not afraid of what they think. He's not afraid of being busted. He's not afraid of being associated with Jesus because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the difference. Remember, the book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the disciples. It only starts after chapter 2, when they get filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and now we begin, Luke begins to document what God did through these same men who were terrified at Jesus when he got arrested, but now bold in speaking the gospel. So what's my problem? Why won't I speak the bold, with boldness? Why won't I talk about Jesus? In Why am I afraid? Maybe this is the answer because I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that happened back in Acts chapter 2. Well, this chapter proves that this is a continual process. It doesn't happen just once. No matter what you've been taught, so many people have been taught, 90% of the church has been taught from Sunday school that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same as getting born again. That's not true. It's a different and separate work. And it happens over and over again. And it wasn't once in Acts chapter 2, and from then on, the Holy Spirit's been poured out on all the earth, and now that, that doesn't happen anymore like that. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches, and chapter 4 proves that. The difference between Peter then and Peter now is the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit. 
So he gives them a bold answer. You want to know what, you know, if you could paraphrase it, are you really asking me the question and we're under arrest for and being in, 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 you're interrogating us about this guy getting healed? Is that really what we're here about? If you're asking me today by what power and by what name this helpless man got healed of his disease he was born with, there's some sarcasm there. there that's what he's doing. There's some, there's some are, you, are you really asking me this stupid question? You're not leaping. You're not excited about this guy being healed. You really want to know how it happened. You're, you don't care that it happened. Well, let me tell you how it happened. It happened by Jesus, the one you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, whether you believe it or not. I'm filling in the gaps here for you. Whether you Sadducees believe it or not, the one you crucified and rose from the dead is the one that did this today. Any other questions, you know? That's, I'd throw that in there too. That's how I'd be. I, really? This guy, how can you not be happy? This helpless man has been made well, and you're not happy about it. You're upset about it. You arrested the guys that did it. I tell you, when you reject Jesus Christ, and we reject what he stands for, and what he's trying to teach, and you reject his Holy Spirit, it's amazing what you'll believe, what you'll glom on to, how venomous people can get. Just the mention of Jesus' name today causes people to call it, you know, unbelievers, the world to do this. Oh, you're one of them. You're one of them. It's no different. Whatever we receive today from the world as Christians is no different than what the, less harsh, but no different than what these guys went through. They didn't do anything but go up to pray. They didn't do anything but heal a guy. And they're under arrest and being scrutinized for this Jesus. Okay, it's, it's nothing new. So he says, I'll tell you who did it. It was Jesus, the one you crucified, the one that rose from the dead. He did it. This is the stone. Now he's going to quote, quote Psalm 118, and they know it. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. Very clear. Now, that verse 11 would have been super offensive to them because they study that, they know that, they understand it's a messianic prophecy. They didn't believe it was Jesus fulfilling that prophecy because if that's the case, then guess who the builders are? Them. As he's saying this to them, the stone which was rejected by you builders, he's being very pointed, he may as well put his finger in their face, by you builders, you rejected the chief cornerstone. They, they probably studied that forever. Psalm 118, I wonder who those builders are. Boy, don't they look stupid. I wonder who that is. It ends up being them. No, Jesus was the stone and you're the builders. Who would want to be that in the story, you know? Who would want to fulfill that side of prophecy? He was bruised for our transgressions. Oh, I wonder who did that. Some centurion might say, oh, that was me. I was the one that did it. Remember that time I hit him in the head with the reed? Who wants to be that, you know? It says in the last days there's going to be those that are mockers. Mockers about those, oh yeah, you guys have been saying Jesus is coming for 2,000 years. Mockers in the last day, making fun of those. Someday he's going to show up. And a lot of people are going to be the ones that fulfilled that prophecy. How embarrassing. What a horrible moment. 
Anyway, that verse 12 is so important. Nor is there, is there, there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, there's a lot of things going on here because, well, they don't know it yet, but in a few years, this is no longer going to be a nation, and they're going to be wiped out. They're going to be scattered. The, the scepter is going to be, well, it has been removed, but Jesus, had the Messiah, whoever he was that was prophesied, that they thought was going to be just like Moses, whoever this Messiah was, had to come before this next event. Or there is no Messiah. Or that the prophecy is no longer fulfilled. What he's saying is there is no other salvation than any other. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And if you don't believe in him, then there is no Messiah coming for you. It was now. Now is the time for the Messiah to come. And if he doesn't come now, then there is no Messiah. Prophecy in Daniel 9 proves that. If there wasn't some other guy sneaking in beside Jesus on the donkey on that day, then there is no Messiah coming. There is no other Messiah. This is the one you must be saved by. There is no other name. You can't be any more clear than that. It's very narrow. God has a very narrow view of salvation in a world that we live in now that's very broad and wide and wants us to be open and receptive to all sorts of ways to heaven, all sorts of opportunities for people to know Christ. They don't, they don't have to go through Christianity. They can go through Islam. They can go through Hinduism. They can go through Buddha. They can go through all sorts of different ways. It's all the same God. They're just feeling different parts of the elephant and describing it in different ways, they say. It's not true. It's not true. Peter's very clear on this. There is salvation in, in no other, and there is no other name that must be Jesus. In fact, Paul later on writes to the Corinthians, I'm afraid you might believe in another Jesus. In other words, you can't just say Jesus. You have to believe in the Jesus, this Jesus, not any Jesus, not the Krishna Jesus, not the whoever Jesus. It's got to be this Jesus or another spirit, or another gospel, Paul warns him. There's three things that have already crept into the Corinthian church. Watch out for the other Jesus, the other gospel, and the other spirit. I'm concerned for you guys. I'm afraid you might fall for this stuff. That was a real concern from Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the one who's probably maybe somewhere around this crowd right now watching, whose name is Saul at the time. His name later gets changed to Paul, vehemently opposed to the church. He just can't wait to be unleashed on these guys. He gets saved, and he warns the churches, watch out for this false Jesus, this false spirit, this false gospel. It must be this, and Peter says it as much, but Peter reinforce, or Paul re- reinforces this later on in his teachings, and his writings. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You can't find it any other way. There's no other way to have it. God has not provided another way of salvation for you or for me or for this world. There is no other way. That's pretty narrow. Well, that's what Jesus taught. Jesus said it is a narrow way. It is narrow. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow straight. So in other words, you've got to stay there. It's up to you as a Christian, as an individual disciple and follower of Jesus Christ to stay in that narrow place. Oh, just my friends get so offended. You, you want to see offense? Watch this. 
Watch how offended. Peter's not afraid of offending. He just looked him right in the eye and says, you crucified the Messiah. You're the, you're the one. You're the one in Psalm 118. He wasn't afraid to call it what it is. He's hoping for repentance. He's hoping for that, but he's not afraid to say the truth to them. There's no other name. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. What do you do? You know? What do you say against it? There he is. You know? But you guys are of the well, you're of the healing, nice, friendly devil. You know, I mean, how do you say that? There's this guy, he's got this big grin on his face standing there who's laying there the rest of his life. And he's just standing there smiling at him going, look at this. And they're going, could you just stop jumping up and down for a minute? This is serious over here, you know. What do you say? I I, I focus on that because apologetics will get you so far with people. I'm all for apologetics. You need to know your faith. You need to understand what you believe. That's important. But you can only take people to to rational understanding of who Jesus is. These guys, I mean, you couldn't get more, let's talk about apologetics. Okay, here's the guy healed completely. We have absolute perfect evidence that God exists, that Jesus is the Savior, and it's by him that we healed him. Here he is, and they still want to kill these guys. Jesus gives us a very clear understanding in John. The people don't come to know him, will not receive him as their Lord and Savior for one reason. They love their sin. If I believe in him, that means what I'm doing is wrong. But if I believe in the God that I've created in my own mind, that I've come up with, that, that's okay with what I do, then I, I don't have to stop doing what I love doing. And so I worship God. I'm a very religious guy. I just worship the God that looks an awful lot like me and what I do. Whereas if you're right, and this Jesus is true, the Sadducees' problem is, what do you mean he raised from the dead? That doesn't compute with me. That goes against my doctrine. Nevertheless, that's what happened. I can't believe in him then because that would mean that I'd have to start believing in the resurrection. That means I have to believe in eternal life and eternal damnation also. I've got to be careful about this. This is a slippery slope. So I'm going to just reject that Christ so that I can, despite the evidence laid out before me that's clear as a bell. They've rejected the evidence standing there. I mean, I don't think any of us have ever had that kind of evidence when we've been witnessing to people, right? I haven't. That'd be great. You see this guy here? Remember him? He was crippled and now he's well again. Want to believe on Christ? I'm thinking... No. Apologetics will get us so far. Uh, Reasoning with people will get us so far. And that is important. It's okay to do that. But again, it's a work of the Holy Spirit in somebody. Conviction. Their need for Christ has to be brought upon them. They have to receive that and understand that I'm a guilty man. I'm a guilty woman before God because of my sins. Now what do I do? That's what Peter would do. He just let them all know. You know you killed the Christ, don't you? They'd all chomp on their fingers a little bit. Then they'd say, well, what do we should do now? I'm glad you asked. Part two, you know. Part one, you killed the Messiah. Part two, here's how you fix it. You believe on him whom God raised from the dead for your salvation. He died on the cross for your sins. 
So I kind of messed with you there. You killed him on the cross, but that had to happen anyway because you needed someone to die on your, on your behalf. Part two, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. 5,000, 3,000 people get saved because they, they understand that. So they marveled. What I love about this, and I, it's not because I don't have a college education. I, I went for one year. I guess, I, I, full disclosure, I went for a year to Dana Lutheran College up in Blair, Nebraska. And I was going to study religion and psychology and be a pastor. That was my path. That was my route. That was what I was going to do. And I spent a year, two semesters, arguing with everybody because none of them believed in the Jesus I was reading in the Bible. Are you kidding me? My first day of Religion 101 was Dr. Navies, who was brought out of retirement, out of mothballs to teach our class, wrote on the board, the blackboard. There's still blackboards back then. I don't know if you still have them today. But blackboard up there. These are the verses in the Bible that aren't true. Heresy slap, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I learned that from Seth. They did that at Bible college. Um, heresy slap. Poof. I don't care how old you are. And then my psychology teacher was an atheist. I'm like, oh my goodness. I said, you know what? I'm tired of teaching you people. I'm not paying you to, for me to teach you what God says. Bye. And so I went to the same school of theology that these guys did, the Holy Spirit School of Theology. Same school of theology every one of you, obviously, is enrolled in. Learn from him. Read his word. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher and your guide. I mean, that's what the helper was sent for, right? Let him teach you. You know, and dig in and take notes and love it and absorb it, apply it. And these guys did have three and a half years with Jesus. Pretty good tutoring situation. That'd be a nice apprenticeship, wouldn't it? But they weren't of any value, even after that three and a half years of being with Christ and watching him work in the ministry and learning from him and sitting at every one of his teachings, still worthless until when? Acts 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it all made sense. That's when they began to write these things. That's when they said, okay, now get your pen and paper and write the book of Acts. Now write John. Now write Matthew. Now write Mark. Now write, now start churches. Now go out. But Jesus told them, don't leave. I don't care what kind of tutoring you had for me. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Then you can go. Look what happens to these guys. Amazing. Same thing. Nothing's changed. It's just us. It's just us, right? I don't know what your name is. I mean, I do, but I don't need to know everybody's name. What difference does it make? Filled with the Holy Spirit. God's word in your hand. Look out, world. Look out, you know? And seeing the man who had been healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. We can't say it didn't happen. I mean, there he is. The guy won't stop bouncing up and down. But so that it spreads no further, among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Now, this is the first step, the first warning shot across the bow for these guys. Now, understand this. These guys are all, except for John, going to be martyred for their faith in Jesus. This is nothing. We're going to severely threaten them. 
Next time they get beat. And a few more times down the road, they get killed, except for John. John only gets boiled in oil and set aside on the island of Patmos for the rest of his life, they think, until he's finally set free. That's the best thing that happens to these guys, okay? Peter's going to be crucified with his wife, but upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like his Messiah was crucified. So please do this to me upside down instead, okay? So... We better, we better threaten these guys, and that'll stop it, they think. That just fans the flame, you know? That just spreads the embers. We're going to yell at these guys and see if we can get them to stop. What's, in, what's embarrassing to me for these guys is that they want it to stop. We don't want this to spread. We want to contain this. We need some containment here. So, okay, guys, come back in. They call them back in and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. For us to not talk about the truths that we've seen and the truths we have learned from Jesus would be lying and we'd be false witnesses. We're going to be honest and true witnesses of Jesus. That's really all we're required to do. I don't have to lie about Jesus. I remember my friends, they were really, really rich next door. The Joneses, literally, can you believe it? They're called the Joneses. Talk about keeping up with the Joneses. They were called the Joneses. We probably better edit this. I don't know. Maybe Jason will listen. <laughs> He's my best friend. But we were over at their house, and they were talking about, where you got to go? Well, we got to go to, we're going to Easter, so we got to, it's Easter, we're going to, we're going to, why do you guys go to church anyway? There's the question, right? And of course, I didn't have anything, I didn't know what I was going to say. And we began to talk about how great it was at church, and how they, they get this huge thing, and there's lots of candy, and we began to talk about all this stuff, making it up, how great it was, because we were embarrassed to talk about why we really went there. And to be honest with you, at that age, I didn't know why I was going to church. I was just doing coloring pages and eating popcorn and stealing donuts before it was time for me to get donuts. I didn't really know. Um, but we made it up. And it was almost a false witness to, to try to make them jealous in the wrong way by appealing to their flesh why they should come and what they're missing out on. You know, I wanted them to feel bad that they weren't getting donuts like we were and candy like we were and stuff. And I wasn't, what, nine or something like that? I didn't know. All we're required to do as Christians is to tell the truth about what we've seen and what we've heard. What's God done in your life? What's he done in your life? Maybe he hasn't done anything, and that's an issue that you probably need to deal with tonight by accepting him as your Lord and Savior and letting him do something in your life. Um, But that's all I'm required to do. I don't have to talk about... David, you've got a lot of stuff you can talk about in Africa, but I I, I don't want to say, you know... What, what Christ has done for me? Well, I can tell you what he's done for David. David's done some amazing things in Africa. No, I'm not required to know everything that happened with David in Africa. I, I just talk about what God's done with me. I'm a true and honest witness and testifier of what Christ has done in my life. That's it. That's what he means by you shall be my witnesses. Just tell people what I've done for you. That's it. You don't have to elaborate. You don't have to make it bigger. No legends necessary here. Just tell them what I've done for you. Simply. That's it. And they said that. What am I supposed to say? We, we can't but speak the truth. So you want us to be quiet? You, you, th- you think we should listen to you or to God? Well, of course it's God. But they don't even think they're listening to God, although they can't deny the miracle. 
verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, so I don't know what that looked like, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Forty years he suffered with this ailment, but it was at this time, it was necessary. You know, why didn't God heal him when he was six? Why didn't God heal him when he was 10? Why didn't God heal him when he's 15, when he's 20, 25, 30, 35? That's a big question for a lot of people. Why does that person have to suffer? Why were they born like that? How come they're not doing it? I don't know. But I know this guy was supposed to be where he was for 40 years because at this time was the right time for him to be healed. Because at this time, 5,000 people get saved and the disciples are able to stand up for Christ with the boldness of the Holy Spirit and Christ gets all the glory for it. God gets all the glory. If he had gotten healed when he was six, Christ wouldn't have gotten the credit. People wouldn't have been brought to Jesus. Am I willing to live with whatever it is that I'm struggling with, not sin, don't misunderstand me, but whatever it is to bring Christ glory later? Can I go through this now? Can God let me go through this now so that I can give him credit later to bring him glory? Am I his servant or am I not his servant? Did I tell him he could have my life? You gave me your life. You died on the cross for my sins. I return. That's what being born again is. That's what being saved is. I give you my life back. I'm a bond slave. I willingly put myself in slavery to you. I willingly put myself under your authority to do with whatever you want to. Can I do that? And then do I mean it? Can he actually start doing stuff with me? You know, I want to take you through this because it's going to be hard, but people are going to see your faithfulness and, you know, just like Job maybe. Maybe better than Job, I hope. So, we can't do anything. This guy's 40 years old. What are we supposed to say? Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? And the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. This is their prayer and their praise time. They come back after being you know, harassed by the world and even you know, threatened by the world. They come back to their guys. You wouldn't believe it. We got threatened in the name of Jesus. For Jesus' name, we got threatened. They're excited about that. They're not shaking their heads saying, I just don't understand this world. I mean, no, they're excited. You just, these guys, you know, this guy got healed and 5,000 people got saved and then they threatened us. They said we were going to do some stuff to us and we didn't do anything. Isn't this great? And, they're, and they open up and this is how they pray. Great example of prayer. Lord, you are God. Great way to start your prayer. Don't, do, don't dive right into God give me. You know, take some work up to that. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. You're huge. You're gigantic. You've done everything. I don't know what I'm worried about who by the mouth of your servant David, he said this, he prophesied about this, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. I remember when David prophesied about that. For truly, 
against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They're reminded that all the difficulties and all the scary times we had when Jesus was arrested and all that, it was all by your hand. It was by your design. They all plotted against. They thought they were winning. Satan thought he had stirred up enough people to stop this salvation from having going. Actually, that's how we're saved. And so they sit back and they reflect upon the difficulties they went through and the trials they just went through and how it was by God's hand and it brought about his purposes. And that's why we're standing here today and that guy's still jumping up and down over here. He's probably in the prayer service with them, you know, holding hands. Just, <laughs> you know, Bob, you know, Levi, sit down. That's why we're here. That's why it's happened because it's by your hand. And they're reminded that even the difficulties and the trials were orchestrated to bring about his purposes and his plans. Now look, Lord, on their threats. This is where the gimme comes in. This is where the asking comes in. First, we acknowledge how great you are, how awesome you are, how everything's organized and how it's all coming together to bring you glory. So now, you see their threats? Here's what they asked for. Look what they asked for. God, protect us. Put a hedge of protection around us. No, what's he say? What's he want? See their threats? Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, we don't care what happens to us. We don't want a hedge of protection around us. They've threatened us and they're trying to get us to shut up. Lord, help us to be more bold. We don't care what they do. We don't care if they follow through on their threats. What we're concerned with is being quiet being threatened into, into, into silence. So God, don't put a hedge of protection around us. Give us a fire in our gut, a boldness to speak your word even more. Paul says the same thing. You guys want to pray for me, Paul says? Pray that I might have boldness because that's what they're attacking. They're trying to make me timid. They're trying to make me scared. They're trying to make me a mouse. And I don't want to be a mouse. I want to be a lion for Christ. I want to be out loud. I want to be loud. I want boldness. So that's their prayer. At the end of all that, no protection. Make sure they don't hurt us, God. I don't want to get in trouble. Nope. God, give us more boldness. And may you get the glory as your signs and wonders are done in the name of your, of your son, Jesus. Verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That can't be. That can't be true. We should take black magic markers and cross that out. Because that happened in Acts 2. That happened once in Acts 2. And these are the same guys. So, I mean, what, what's happening here? That's because the Holy Spirit fills these guys over and over and over again. The big joke from the people that are opposed to this is, what, did he leak out or something? You got to get more? Did he leak out? I don't know what happened, but they prayed For boldness, God poured out his Holy Spirit upon them and baptized them again, and they spoke with boldness. So whatever your doctrine says, you can throw that out now. Otherwise, you're going to fall into the same camp as the Sadducees who just will not believe in this baptism of the Holy Spirit because it goes against my doctrine. It goes against what I've been taught. It goes against what I've believed. That's why they couldn't accept Christ. That's why they couldn't accept the miracle. That's, that's why they couldn't celebrate. 
Don't be hindered by somebody else's teaching. Stick with God's word. What happened here is the second filling of the Holy Spirit for the same guys, which and this continues throughout the book of Acts, and it continues in 2016 and 2017 and 2018 to the believers. So pray. Ask God for boldness and see if he doesn't fill you with his Holy Spirit again today or tonight. like our teeth have been knocked out as Christians. We don't believe this stuff, or we don't think it can happen, or we don't think it's for today, and so we sit back passively saying, I don't know. I don't have victory in my sin because maybe I just haven't had enough New Year's resolutions, you know. I'm going to really resolve myself in 2017 to not be a sinner. It's not going to work. That's a flesh promise. That's a promise of the flesh. That's the flesh saying, I promise I'm not going to sin. That's all flesh does is sin. No, you pray and you seek the Lord and you forget your New Year's resolutions. You come to God and you say, God, I, you, you've, you've seen what I've done in the past. Now, God, please, I don't care what happens to me, but help me to be bold for Christ this year. Help me to be holy. Help me to be pure. Help me to be like your son, Jesus. Help me to be more like him this year. And then wait for God to fill you with his Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. Again. And then pray it again the next night. And the next night. And before you get up in the morning, pray before your foot hits the carpet or whatever hard floor you're under, you know, above. Pray that God might fill you with the Holy Spirit to be bold today. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they, all, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need." That's a real neat thing. I mean, it is. It's a good thing. It doesn't last very long, though, unfortunately. Eventually, there's those that didn't work, didn't continue on going hard. And we see that later on in Paul's writings that he says, look, you know, Christ didn't come back the next week like we thought, although we live expectingly because we never know when he's going to come back. But we pulled everything together. We've spent it all. Some guys aren't working. Some guys are, you know. It didn't work out. You'll see throughout that the churches are bringing back tithes to the Jerusalem church because it didn't work out like they thought. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a great thing, but it's only going to happen like this really when Christ comes. When Christ comes back to rule and reign. But they do their best, and it was beautiful. You know, Luke writes it down because it was really neat. The hearts were right. Everything was right. And as long as everybody's hearts stay right, it works great. It really is a beautiful thing. It, it just, we'll, we'll see later on that things go south. In fact, chapter 5, we'll see that, the beginning of that. I don't think we're going to get to it tonight, so I won't even start it. But chapter 5 is Ananias and Sapphira. Those two get wiped out. <laughs> and I bring that up because I'm not going to be able to get to it tonight. Because it said their great grace was upon them all. 
And I love great grace, and it's grace upon grace, and we love talking about grace. But in chapter 5, two people get wiped out for lying to the Holy Spirit. So we've got to be careful about what we think grace is. Grace isn't permission to do whatever we want to do, and God's just going to overlook it because he's the candy, you know, candy fairy, you know. No, judgment comes to these two, Ananias and Sapphira, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They both die in chapter 5 because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so with that great grace, there's also an amazing power that's in this church right now. Anyway, let me, let me move on. Let's, let's finish this up and we can, we'll close here. We'll get into it chapter 5, I guess. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So they laid it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles distributed it to anyone who had need. I mean, it was an awesome thing. I mean, these guys really, it was beautiful. It'd be great. It'd be great. And uh, Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, this is the first time we hear about this guy. This is a great guy. By the apostles, which is, which is translated as son of encouragement. So his name is Joseph, but these guys nicknamed this guy. You're, you're not Joseph. You're the son of encouragement. They called him that, Barnabas. Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. It's so important to have that. There's just some folks that are just always for you. You know, they're just for you. And not everybody's like that. There's a lot of people that are just against you. You know who they are, right? You pray for them every night that God might, yeah, save them. That's what, yeah. Or get them. I don't know how you pray. <laughs> but then there's those Barnabases. Those Barnabases that are just for you. They're the sons of encouragement. They come alongside you like, man, I blew it today. Ah, man, so did I. But we're not going to tomorrow, right? Right. Let's pray. Yeah, let's hold it. God, we're worthless. But, but you know, and you pray with them. Those are Barnabases. I want to be that, you know. I think at different times, you've got to wear different hats as a pastor. Sometimes you don't get to be the Barnabas. You've got to be the one to say, look, uh, you need to open your eyes. Spiritually speaking, you're killing your family, dude. Well, it's not very encouraging. You know, sorry about it. Um, but I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be a Barnabas to my wife. I want to be a Barnabas to my kids. I want to be a Barnabas to you when, when, it's, when it's time and necessary. Boy, we can use a lot of those, you know. I want Barnabases in my life, you know, sons of encouragement. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, this guy's rich. Got a lot of stuff. I sold it. I don't know what to do with it. With a big grin on his face. Here's everything I own. You know, who does that? Except for someone like Barnabas. He's going to do that later on too. Um, I, I I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, but he's being a real blessing to John Mark later on, you know, um, a real encouragement to him also. And he was just known for that. That's who he was. And uh, we need those guys. So anyway, let's pray. That's where we close tonight. And we'll pick up chapter five next week. Uh, Lord willing. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We, we opened it up and you spoke to our hearts. Um, for the parts that you spoke to us, not maybe not everything, but whatever spoke to our hearts. God, help us now to apply it to be doers of whatever you said we're supposed to do. Maybe we're supposed to sell some land and give it to somebody else because we don't need it and to be a blessing to them and they're, they're in need and we're not. And that's cool. Help us to do that. Help us to be bold, to walk by faith. And what we do, we do by faith because we want to honor you and glorify you and give you all the, uh, you know, to draw people to you. So God, if that's what we're supposed to do, Lord, help us to follow through and do it. Not worry about whatever Satan might whisper in our ears afterwards. Yeah, you better not do that. But we don't want to listen to him. We want to listen to you and your Holy Spirit and your leading. Lord, we want to do that. 
Maybe we need to be a son of encouragement to, I don't know, whoever you put on our hearts. Lord, help us to be that. Change us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Maybe that's another thing, God. Maybe we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe we thought Acts 2 was way back then and once for all, and we just kind of thought it was a gimme. Um, And yet we see it happening with these guys. We want to pray that. Lord, give us boldness. Give us the... uh, um, Give us the ability to to be victorious over these areas of our life that we're not victorious in, whatever they may be. I don't even want to name them. We know we can't do that. We can can try in our flesh for a couple weeks, and then we fail because our flesh wins. But Lord, if you fill us with your Holy Spirit, you you can take that away. And so, God, we desire that. You know, it doesn't even talk about sins that you take away from people. They just depart. What these guys pray for is boldness and they're witnesses for you and they're all about your kingdom. And in the process of being witnesses for you and being all about your kingdom, that sin seems to naturally disappear from their lives. So God, help us to be about your business, to be at the hour of prayer when we're supposed to be at the hour of prayer so that people can get healed if that's if, if that's on the schedule that day for the Holy Spirit. Help us to be in the right place, your place, by your leading, by your directing. Filled with the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of boldness. Help us to walk in this world, Lord. I noticed these guys, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't go then to the churches and tell them they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but they went out to the world in this power of yours. And 5,000 people get saved and 3,000 people get saved and people get healed and great signs and wonders take place. So God, help us to go to the world now, filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, for some, we've got to back way, way up. They don't even know you as their Lord and Savior. They've never believed on you for salvation. They thought there was other names. There was other ways to be saved. But tonight they've learned for the first time in verse 12 that there is no other name. And there is no other way provided by you to be saved except through this Jesus that we learned of tonight. So tonight they want to believe on this Jesus, the God of the Bible, the Savior of the Bible, Jesus Christ, for their salvation. They want to believe that and trust in your sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for their sins. That instead of them dying on the cross, instead of them being sent to hell to pay for their sins, your son took that penalty upon himself and died in place of them. And we believe on that. We thank you for that, God. Now help us to be your witnesses, to just tell people of what you've done for us and see what you do with that. Give us boldness this week, Lord. Help us to have eyes wide open for opportunities to share your love and your truth with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.